today's topic is lithium metal batteries uh, with Chi Chow and Mark. Um, just a quick intro on who we are, uh, Battery Revolution, Battery Insiders podcast. This is our 57th podcast. And uh, we talk uh, every month about all things battery related. Um, I'm Miriam. I'm one of the uh, co-hosts of the podcast, uh, also co-founder at Pulsenix. We make hardware to characterize batteries among other electrochemical technologies. And uh, I'll hand, hand it over to Simon to introduce a little bit more about the podcast as well as the speakers today. Thank you so much, Myron. Yeah, as you said, very excited for our final podcast of this year. This podcast has been running a few years now. It really started during the pandemic and convening lots of battery enthusiasts all around the world around a lot of battery topics. In case you're interested to listen to any of the past podcast recordings, you can just look for Battery Insiders on any platform where you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, etc., etc. And um, yeah, what we're going to do today, we have another conversation, as Mayam just mentioned, on this topic of lithium metal batteries. We got some two fantastic speakers with us today. One is Chi Chao, um, CEO and founder at SES AI company, and then also Mark Newman, founder of Electric Revolution Ventures. And yeah, they just had a really exciting event as well. Just this week, um, where we're discussing quite a few interesting updates, something we're also excited to hear, of course, today. So this was their annual Battery World 2022 event. So yeah, I think just for the structure of this, if you have been with us before, you know we like to have this interactive. So please yeah, get your questions ready. We're going to have a chance for all of you to ask them in the second half today. But before we do so, we're very excited to also hear a bit of a recap um, of, of this event, and I think Chichao and Mark will provide that, as well as also giving us a bit of a background to the both of them. So yeah, I think we're very excited to kind of kick this off. I think if I got it right, I think Mark wanted to start this. Mark, are you ready? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Miriam. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Just a few quick words. Um, <clears throat> Simon asked me to do a bit of an intro uh, on on myself, uh, just a brief intro. I mean, my background is originally as a chemical engineer, a uh, decade or so, decade plus in the semiconductor industry, and um, moved over to finance uh, at Bernstein, covering technology and batteries. Um, and uh, over the last few years, I've been um, doing investments in the battery space, investing in uh, startups. Um, such as Nyabolt, uh, uh, a few others, and um, we did a SPAC uh, with um, Robert Friedland, Ivanhoe Capital, and that's how uh, I got to know, uh, well, that's how I became closer to Chichao, because actually we knew each other uh, several years ago from my Bernstein role. Uh, I've hosted him several times in some of my previous uh, work as a Bernstein analyst, uh, hosted him uh, as a speaker um, and uh, for the Ivanhoe SPAC um, after looking at pretty much all the battery startups out there all of the likely names won't go into them here uh, we picked uh, the the top of all of them was SES and that's how we did uh, that deal um, and uh, that's that leads me on to next introduce uh, Chichao who can talk a bit more about uh, himself and an SES and then we can talk a bit about Battery World and then of course love to hear all your questions after that. Chao, over yeah. to you. Yeah, thanks Mark, uh, Simon and uh, Marion for uh, hosting this event. Um, so um, 
like Mark mentioned, um, I started SES 10 years ago in the 2012. Back then, was out of my uh, PhD work at MIT, and then I uh, I've known Mark since 2017, and then we started working together uh, 2021 as part of the uh, SPAC process between. SCS and uh, Ivanhoe, and then we closed the deal uh, early this year. So we've been listed on NYSE since early this year. And then the goal of Battery World, so we started doing Battery World uh, last year. Last year, 2021, was the first time we did Battery World. And then this is our second time. So the main goal of doing this is really to, pro to provide a, a platform to uh, share our progress with the industry, also to have the industry and the community to uh, talk about uh, battery uh, breakthroughs, all the challenges, all the issues uh, in the uh, more in-depth and uh, um, uh, more transparent uh, platform. So last year, Battery World 2021, we first um, unveiled some data, lithium metal cell data on these uh, smaller cells, 4 amp power cells. And then uh, also our partnership with GM Hyundai last year. And then uh, this year, the the uh, most recent Battery World, we unveiled uh, data on the larger cells, 50 amp power cells, also some data on the 100 amp power cells. And uh, the, earlier this year, uh, Honda came in, so now we have partnerships with three OEMs to, to basically put lithium metal cells onto EVs in the next few years. Um, yeah, so so really it's, uh, it's just to provide this uh, open, transparent uh, platform to not just talk about the good news, because the good news tend to be incomplete, but uh, really to talk about all the challenges and the issues and then how we are solving those things. Fantastic. Thanks so much to Charles. And um, maybe... I think Mark said, maybe you want to go a bit on the, on the recap of the Battery World event, maybe some more updates, you already touched on some of them, but maybe is there a chance to go a bit more in depth, I think, for everyone, for anybody who has missed the event this week? Sure. So the Battery World 2022, uh, we uh, talk about some data on the 50 amp hour cells, lithium metal 50 amp hour cells, uh, cell energy density, low temperature, uh, room temperature, power density, some safety data, third party safety data, and some cycle life data. And then also a comparison between the four amp hour cell data that we uh, show last year and the latest uh, 50 amp hour cells and also some 100 amp hour cells and then so uh, from a engineering perspective um, we can get the 50 amp hour cells the large cells the performance to match quite closely to the performance of the four amp hour cells and then um, so, so earlier this year we uh, so end of last year we started building these large 50 and 100 amp hour cells. We went through a lot of problems, but then we we also solved a lot of these problems. And now, now the performance of the large cells uh, can come very close to match the performance of the 4 amp hour cells. So that's good progress. Uh, and then we also talk about uh, supply chain. Um, so supply chain uh, for us in pre-commercial stage uh, is really about degrees of freedom. And SES, um, so we started in 2012 and then up until 2015 we only focus on one particular aspect and that was electrolyte and and then since then we added anode cathode separator coating cell technology cell manufacturing equipment design cell design engineering and then um, BMS uh, uh, charge and discharge 
algorithms uh, uh, to improve the safety and uh, uh, cycle life of lithium metal cells. And then also uh, recently, we also went further upstream uh, for electrolyte. We started making our own solvent, our own salt, because you can't buy a lot of these things uh, on the on the uh, commercial market. And then you, you really have to make a lot of these things uh, in-house. And then anode, we used to take anode for granted, just piece of lithium foil or copper. And then, uh, but then that also had a lot of issues with performance and also limitations to how to, in terms of what you can do, what you can change to really improve things. So then we took the entire anode process in-house, basically from ingots to the final anode, we make that entire thing in-house. And then, so, um, so we started working on our supply chain. And then again, uh, for pre-commercial, that's basically R&D, um, uh, R&D, uh, pre-A sample, A sample, and all the way up, up until B sample, so, the, so so having this robust supply chain for us is really about having more degrees of freedom so that we can change things, we can improve things uh, without controlling uh, uh, basically every aspect. It's We found it's impossible for us to meet the OEM specs. And then we've been working with these OEMs. For us to meet their specs, we realized we just had to control everything, like control everything, every material, every step in our entire process. Even if you don't want to, you have to. So just only by controlling everything, you have enough degrees of freedom to meet their full-blown specs. And then we uh, had a lot of problems, solved a lot of problems this year. Um, and then next year we expect to enter into B sample and the B sample and then later, um, and then hopefully we can become commercial. Uh, and then get to C sample and then uh, start of production. Once we, we get to the, the second half of B sample, then this supply chain will become about lowering cost and then increasing uh, robustness and then scale. And, uh, and, and once you get to uh, uh, second stage of B sample, cost becomes everything. So the, uh, in Better World 2022, we unveiled the data on the big cells. Uh, we talk a lot about supply chain. Uh, because now we are uh, in B sample, oh, sorry, we are in A sample transition to B sample, and in addition to the cell performance, this degree of freedom and this getting ready to uh, to to have a robust supply chain is is really important, not just to us but also to our OEM partners. So those are the main things we cover in the Better World 2022. So maybe I'll, uh, this is this is Mark again. Maybe I'll go a bit into the uh, panel discussion. Um, which I hosted, which was right on the back of, right after Chichao's uh, keynote. Um, we had guests from the three big uh, car OEM partners of SES, so that's General Motors, Hyundai, and Honda. Uh, we also had uh, Robert Friedland, founder and executive chairman of Ivanhoe Mines and Ivanhoe Electric. Um, and we also had a representative from Tianchi, which is a lithium miner. So Ivanhoe, if you don't know, they they are big miners in nickel, cobalt, copper, uh, all the big um, uh, battery metals. Um, Tianchi is a big lithium uh, miner and processor. Um, and then and then Chichao from SES. So those were the five, um, sorry, six panelists uh, plus myself as the host. 
Um, and I'll just give a brief summary about what we talked about. I mean, of course, you can access the um, recording. It's available on YouTube and we'll be sending out, uh, well, SES will be sending out, I'll be sending out as well, uh, copies of that if you haven't seen it yet, uh, copies of the recording. Um, but there's three kind of areas we, we covered. You know, first area was uh, just the, talking about new technologies in general. Um, and uh, I was asking the, the panels about, um, the panel speakers about, um, you know, how, how difficult is it to introduce new technologies considering uh, the big ramp ahead of us? And uh, there's a lot of comments on um, how you know, a lot, of, a lot of the panelists are particularly, uh, particularly the CART OEMs, particularly excited about SES technology. Uh, SES is lithium metal technology. They've also got, of course, some of their own other things that are working on on the side. But I think in general, um, SES is the one that they're uh, just generalizing. That's right. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I believe they would all agree that SES is the one they're most excited about. Um, and uh, but, but of course, it's uh, difficult to uh, not not just not just the work that Chichao is doing on the um, uh, on the development, but actually the the ramping, which is which is now what we're starting to look at and worry about. How is it going to be ramped? Uh, and for these car companies, they're also worried about how do you introduce it to to the next car platform. Uh, G GM, one of the things GM mentioned that's uh, a particular note is how their you know their platform their ultium platform is like a plug and play so that the, the batteries they're working with um ses are going to be plug and play with what they're currently using same size uh, same format exactly so that reduces their risk uh, somewhat um second topic just in terms of the new technologies themselves uh we, we talked a bit about various different technologies uh, going into the electric car of the future you know most of the discussion was on battery technologies um, predominantly lithium metal you know i'm sure you know lithium metal is the um that's the innovation on the anode side um and you have a few different ways to implement that you have the um uh ses approach uh which some might call a hybrid some might call it a liquid based electron it's a more conventional approach um, where you have uh, an actual uh, liquid or um, uh, solvent in salt, uh, as SES calls it, uh, electrolyte. Um, but there's also these solid state alternatives as well. And a few of the car companies talked uh, a bit about those. But there's challenges um, in both, but particularly with the um, solid state approach. Um, and then finally, uh, going upstream. Uh, the third topic we talked about, I spent quite a lot of time on, is you know how each of these companies, uh, not including SES and the car companies and the raw material providers, the miners, how are they dealing with these huge supply chain uh, ramp uh, issues? Um, you know, particularly, you know, got this huge, you've got this huge, unprecedented ramp happening in terms of demand, but at the same time. Uh, introducing new technologies and in addition in parallel to that you've got this new somewhat political uncertainty with the kind of tensions we're seeing um, between you know particularly US and China and there's some uh, somewhat you know decoupling or balkanization uh, as Robert put it 
uh, of supply chains, which is obviously not the optimal way to do it. Um, it adds it adds uh, more uncertainty and complexity. Um, so there's a lot of the discussion was talking about that and um, how each of these uh, companies are dealing with these supply chain ramp issues. Um, a just final note for me before I hand it back to uh, Simon is um, I think it's you know of note that um, you know SCS is already thinking about these things because most of the other competitors in this next-gen battery technology space such as lithium metal um, or pure silicon or silicon dominant anodes uh, um, i.e. not just a sprinkler silicon but almost all silicon um, and solid state these types of new technologies uh, you, you know as far as I'm aware they're not really looking deeply at the supply chain challenges um, which are going to be quite immense uh, and, and how they're going to ramp up because it's all very well making a few tiny cells in the lab and having a few nice results and maybe you can go to a few amp hours but can you really go to a hundred amp hour cell and can you make millions of them reliably consistently um, and can you prove to the OEMs that you uh, uh, can reproduce that time and time again uh, and access the raw materials and the entire supply chain to ramp for a mainstream vehicle. You know, these things are difficult, uh, not completely solved, but I just give credit to SES for actually being ahead and actually, um, you know, starting to uh, worry and work on these issues. Thank you so much, Mark and uh, Chichao. Um you know, in terms of the battery world uh, topics, you really covered quite a quite a few really important challenges, but also um, focus areas in the in the battery industry today. So, if we take a step back, and uh, you know, Chuchao in the in the battery world um, event, you mentioned that a hybrid lithium metal battery is like if a lithium ion battery in a solid state had a baby. Can you can you tell us why? you think that lithium metal batteries are the way to go and why these these are the best this would be the best chemistry for the oems to to incorporate into their vehicles uh, yeah so i just say it's, it's like uh lithium ion and, and uh, also i'll say had a baby well so uh, it's because of the the following if you look at lithium metal the cathode is the same as lithium ion right we're using high nickel uh ncm high nickel ncma that's that's the same as lithium ion and the separator the base film same as lithium ion uh, produced by lithium ion suppliers of course with our own coating uh, and then electrolyte is liquid it's uh, entirely our own material our own uh, formulation but the, the the whole manufacturing process is the same the the cell build the uh, stack pouch cell that's exactly the same and then uh, our equipment vendor uh, uh, is a lithium ion cell equipment vendor. And then, and then the only key difference is the anode. So the anode in lithium ion, you have graphite or uh, silicon mixed together, coated on copper. In our case, we have uh, lithium or uh, composite lithium on, on this copper foil. So that's really the only difference. And then our internal team, the scientists are all from national labs and then they have they have uh, deep ex expertise in the chemistry uh, in lithium metal chemistry but the engineers they're all from like lg sk catl they are lithium ion engineers 
And then, and then basically we're making lithium metal cells using lithium ion manufacturing process. Um, so they share a lot of the manufacturing process, share a lot of the materials, and then also share a lot of the supply chain. Uh, and that's a good thing because uh, when you have a new battery technology, it's very easy to demonstrate a particular attribute, but it's extremely hard, like Mark mentioned earlier, to go to the next step. A sample, B sample, it's really hard. And then the kind of problems that we are going through, I would say a lot of the next gen battery startups are not even there yet to experience those problems. So the fact that we are going through all these problems, but we can use lithium ion supply chain know-how, um, that actually helps us solve a lot of these problems. So. Um, so that's why lithium metal is like a, a mix between um, all solid state and uh, lithium ion. And then your question about why I think lithium metal uh, or or the OEMs think lithium metal is, um, first of all, um, regardless if it's liquid or hybrid or, or solid state, they're all lithium metal, right? Uh, and then uh, Mark likes to say lithium metal is the end game uh, because lithium metal is what will get you the high energy density. Um, the energy density of a cell is determined by the cathode and the anode, not the electrolyte. The electrolyte can be liquid, solid, whatever. They'll have the same energy density. So we focus on lithium metal because lithium metal can get us the high energy density. Doesn't matter if it's liquid or solid. Uh, that is one thing that's important for everyone to understand. Liquid electrolyte, solid electrolyte, and then uh, sometimes we also integrate those uh, basically to improve the cycle life. So one thing that people need to understand is the cathode and the anode determine the energy density. The electrolyte determines the safety and the performance. Um, and, and, uh, and then to the OEMs, I mean, at the end of the day, the OEMs don't really care if, if the electrolyte is solid or liquid. If you go to GM, Honda, Hyundai, Volkswagen, their internal plan they don't have internal plans to put solid state uh, or lithium metal. Uh, sorry, their internal plans don't uh, don't include uh, solid state, but they do have lithium ion and lithium metal uh, because lithium ion and lithium metal impact the range, the energy density, and uh, and um, um, the three OEMs I mentioned. Uh, obviously, they have invested in the variety of new technologies, but for next-gen battery technology that's entered into a sample, full-blown a sample joint development with uh, all the all the engineering team, we are the only one because because we can provide a, a system. Um, so not only we have a new uh, composite lithium uh, metal anode, a new electrolyte, uh, we can also build a cell we are probably the best at building cells, cell engineering, cell design, cell manufacturing among the next-gen uh, battery companies. We can also provide suitable charging uh, protocols, algorithms. We also collect data, and then we can also set all these boundary conditions so that when any of these get triggered, uh, we send a signal to the OEM's BMS. We also work on pack development. So, so we are the one and also, we um, we are working on uh, mining, refining, electrolyte, large plant uh, capabilities in North America. So also on the supply chain side. Um, so they they like us because we can provide a very complete one-stop 
solution for lithium metal. So, Chicha, what I heard is that, you know, I, I understood that uh, lithium metal provides uh, high energy density while also maintaining that scalability uh, factor for manufacturing. But you also mentioned safety. So what you're saying is that the hybrid lithium metal that you're developing has Im improved safety features uh, because of the electrolyte that you're developing as well. Yeah, so at the material level, uh, these lithium metal cells can can achieve at least the same safety as lithium ion cells using the same cathode. So um, two cells, the lithium metal cell with the same cathode and the lithium ion cell with the same cathode, they can achieve the same safety standards uh, while the lithium metal one has higher energy density. So if you can improve the energy density and still achieve the same safety, then, then you are safer. A lot of uh, uh, in the industry, a lot of times when people claim something is safer, the, uh, the energy density is much lower. So at the material level, the cell can be as safe as lithium ion using the same cathode uh, while providing higher energy density. Uh, at the same time, uh, no one in the real world, including the OEMs, expects the cells to be 100% safe. The cells uh, uh, will have incidents. I mean, by nature, all batteries will explode at some point. Um, so um, this algorithm that we develop is basically to to monitor uh, from the incoming materials, the electrolyte cathode separator, the manufacturing process, every step. I mean, if you go see our line, we add a lot of AOT uh, sensors, and then we collect a lot of data, and then even um, and then the cell assembly process, formation process, testing. Um, even in testing, we also collect more data than lithium ion. And then we feed all this to this uh, software so that we can detect incidents because uh, uh, it's impossible to not have incidents. Uh, even if you're a Panasonic CATL, even if you have parts per, per 10 million, when you have uh, hundreds of gigawatt hours, that's that's still tens of thousands of cells um, having issues. So, so that you cannot avoid. So uh, then it comes down to how do you uh, monitor all the data, as much data as possible, and then predict things. It's a combination of material uh, and also this software prediction. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chao. And I think there's maybe another question, which actually I had the same similar to, to Mark, and I think I will ask it right now, which was about, you know, what are all of the steps needed essentially to commercialize or have a commercial product on the market? So I think you mentioned like, you know, ACE, um, you mentioned like A samples and B samples, etc. But maybe you can even start a bit earlier. Let's imagine, you know, you're back in these MIT days, you have done, you know, your, um, you know, you got a great discovery there, or there might be another brilliant scientist in this room or anybody listening to this podcast, um, thinking about, okay, they want to commercialize now the technology and they want to bring it on the market. They want to probably want to get it into automotive if possible, but also other applications. Um, yeah, maybe if you could just walk us through, like, what are the steps, hurdles needed to get there and, you know, all the way through to get into an OEM? So the question is for me or Mark? Both can be either way works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I'll go first. Um, so, um, I mean, I think um, we went through so ten years, right? Twenty twelve to now. The first, first, I would say five years, even six years, 
that's just R and D, like chemistry stuff, building coin cells, and then all the way up to maybe like one amp hour cells, and then the next two years, two to three years pre A, um, then we start building these six amp hour cells, larger cells, same number of layers as the final cell, uh, and they really demonstrate energy density, performance, high temperature, low temperature, different cycle conditions, safety, all that, and then the last two years, then you enter A sample, then you have to build a cell that matches the OEM uh, final requirement. Uh, and then in the cell, you you have to demonstrate the performance. So that's ten years, uh, and then and then you go to B. Uh, B is typically one to two years. Basically, it's A sample, and then and then you build packs. And then at the pack level, you have to demonstrate a lot of the performance. And then uh, and then another one year or so for C sample. Um, so sometimes. B and C samples are are merged. You build packs, and then you build a few dozen cars, uh, test vehicles, and then you put these packs uh, on the test vehicles, and then you test uh, uh, real world driving conditions, and then uh, SOP. So, so it could take eventually uh, thirteen years uh, or more, depending on how mature that that technology you uh, start with. And also another thing is for us, we also pivoted our technology a few times. Uh, uh, when we started, uh, it was all solid state lithium metal, uh, 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 polymer based, all solid state lithium metal. And we also did some oxide base. And in 2015, we decided, okay, that's really not that practical. And then also um, um, at that point, we started working with a few OEMs. Then we dropped that. So we switched to. So we switched to um, hybrid lithium metal, and uh, so I think for a lot of the uh, the entrepreneurs that want to start this, I think one thing is this does take a long time, and then at different stages you will encounter uh, entirely new problems. Um, but also, also I think we should be open uh, to pivoting the technology. The goal is not. So the goal is actually not to commercialize the technology. The goal is actually to build、um, a battery company. And then, if the technology that you had in school was great, then good. But if it's not good, then you have to pivot. I mean, most battery companies in the U.S.、Um, uh, pivoted the technology a few times.、Uh, and、um, so, so, I mean, the if the goal is to commercialize that technology, you'll probably fail because that technology、uh, probably doesn't work. But if the goal is to build a battery company,、uh, supply it to a really cool application, focus more on, on the market than the technology, then I think、uh, you have a better chance. Maybe just to add to that,、um, I think you know, SES had this great chart in the deck about a year ago that. I'm not sure if it's still in there, Chichel. It has the development, kind of from about ten years ago,、uh, when it's like coin cells, you know, half cells,、uh, one layer, two layers, eight layers, you know, all the way up to the twenty, thirty, forty, twenty to thirty layers where they're at now,、um, and then growing the size from you know these tiny coin cells, which are you know much less than. An amp hour, you know, in the in the milliamp hours, to single digit amp hours, you know, one amp hour, four amp hours, then all the way up, you know, stage by stage, up to the fifty to a hundred amp hour size, which is what、um, 
the last data was demonstrating on the uh, the recent 50 amp hour sale from SES. So, you know, those, those stages uh, took a long time, right? It took you about um, nine, 10 years to get from the coin sale to the 50 amp hour and 100 amp hour sale, didn't it, Chichel? Yes, yeah. And, and, and now the next step is this A sample, B sample, C sample. So, um, you know, it takes time. A lot of these companies, just, just bear in mind that there might be some interesting data out there, but um, uh, a lot of them are very, very early on. They, they haven't even got to that kind of 25, 30 layers and, you know, 50, 100 amp hour. They're not even, they're not even there yet, let alone a sample stage. So um, it does take a long time. Hope that's helpful. That's great. No, thank you so much. And I think maybe just one thing also for the listeners who are like, what is an A sample? What's an B sample? You know, as far, I mean, there's probably also different definitions, but, um, you know, I think A sample is more like a prototype, B sample, almost final mature product, and C sample is really there for serious production as far as I would see it. Would you agree on that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, globally, um, different OEMs have different definitions for A, B, C samples, but the, the typical industry standards is A sample, Basically, the cell format, the dimension, needs to meet the dimension of the final cell that will go into the, the car. For example, GM Altium, the cell is that width, that length, is this uh, uh, a big wide uh, cell. So A sample, uh, the cell format, the dimension has to match that. A sample cannot be a 4 amp hour cell or 5 amp hour cell. Um, if the current OEM is using that particular dimension, you have to fill that. So A sample, basically the cell level dimension meets the final product spec. And then the performance, you also need to uh, uh, almost uh, meet the, the performance of the final product. You don't have to meet the 100%, but uh, almost meet the performance. And then A sample, you, you build it on the pilot line, typically uh, half cell per minute, uh, under one cell per minute is okay. And then B sample is basically you take A sample, same dimension, same X, Y, Z, you don't change that. And then now you build it typically 5X uh, faster. So you, you build it on a line that's five cells per minute. And then and then you also uh, uh, further improve the performance. And, and the performance basically meets the final product specs. And you also integrate the cells in into packs <clears throat> and then uh, uh, do the pack testing. Once you get a C sample, uh, so so A sample basically you de-risk the technology. B sample you de-risk the manufacturing process and the supply chain, and the C sample that's just final vehicle testing. You put the packs that you develop in B sample, and then you put them in several dozen, say 40, 50 cars, actual cars, and then test vehicles, and then they will test the cars for six months to nine months in the um, test tracks and then run everything. Uh, test the door, test the wipers, the entertainment, the electronics, the lights, but also all the different driving conditions, uh, fast drive, slow drive, over bumps, over water, over potholes. Um, basically, a lot of try to simulate how in the real world people would abuse this. I think it's, it's worth noting that <coughs> Timelines for scaling up batteries has historically been uh, taken a very long time. So, Chichao, you mentioned 13 years uh, sometimes to, to develop uh, battery chemistry to a point where it could even uh, start to be tested um, uh, uh, within, uh, you know, uh, 
operating conditions and so on. Uh, but in the battery world, you uh, had mentioned that you've already manufactured about 1,050 amp hours and 100 amp hour cells. Um, and, you know, last year's battery world, you unveiled data on your four amp hour, hour cells. So what has enabled that extreme scale up of, of, um, of your batteries, essentially? What is it that is the key that, that is enabling you to be able to develop 100 amp hour cells when a lot of maybe industrial players are unable to get to that point. So I think, um, so on the scale up part, the one thing is we are making lithium metal cells using lithium ion process uh, because the lithium ion process is already very mature. The equipment, um, the the talent, the engineers, the process, um, basically are already there. Some companies that develop next gen lithium metal cells, they have to develop the equipment or even the process for the equipment to make this. So that's that's challenging. Uh, uh, two things do happen in parallel, the process development and the equipment and also the materials. Um, uh, even if you have the process and the equipment scaled up, uh, if the final cell does not meet the OEM specs, then it's like you're just making garbage in a very automated, high-quality way, right? So we also um, spend a lot of time developing the chemistry. So I would say this this long period, most of that is, is still chemistry material development because that that's the, the hard part. And then 30% and, uh, uh, or so of that is, uh, is the manufacturing process scale-up. So Chichao, can you tell us a bit more about the avatar that you're building? So you mentioned that you are essentially controlling, you know, the vision is to control the entire supply chain because you have to, not because you want to. And taking data from different parts of the supply chain, feeding that into an avatar that allows you to actually um, evaluate the state of health of your batteries in a very accurate manner. Can you tell us a bit more about that philosophy? Yeah, so um, the problem that we're trying to solve is when the energy density of of the battery gets higher and also the the individual cell capacity of the battery gets higher uh, it, the batteries become more dangerous and that's just fundamental chemistry doesn't matter what what uh, system you have even if you make an all solid state lithium metal if you put a high nickel cathode and then you build 120 amp hour high nickel cathode all solid state lithium metal that cell will still blow up because of the high nickel cathode. So uh, because of this, but the industry is heading down this trend, um, higher energy density, higher capacity per cell. So then how do you improve the safety? Because the the cell level um, uh, safety is getting worse. That's that's the industry trend. And, it's, it's, um, um, and I think we are hitting the limit to improve the safety just purely by materials. Um, so the approach is, Let's use software. And most of the uh, uh, field incidents, for example, the recall that GM had, Hyundai had with the LG batteries, and then in the past, Samsung batteries, and then also Panasonic Tesla batteries, a lot of the incidents are due to manufacturing issues. And for example, if you look at the entire process, you have you start with the mine, and then you refine into carbonate or hydroxide, and then you produce cathode, electrolyte, uh, separate anode. Uh, it, uh, starting this step, if you're using a high nickel cathode, um, so we collect all the data, 
different cathodes have different uh, safety behaviors. And then, and then in the uh, cell building process, so we, we do very rigorous uh, quality control of the incoming materials. And then we collect data on, on all the steps. For example, when you, uh, on the anode, when you punch it out, if you use laser cutting, and uh, uh, and then that uh, quite often uh, creates a lot of copper uh, uh, powders in the cell, and then you have to track that. And then when you build the cells, the the welding strength, the alignment of the electrodes, um, and then electrolyte filling. Sometimes the filling is not that uniform because the cell is, is so large. The formation process, during the formation process, all the data, the electrochemical data. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear I me? I think it's a bit, oh, okay. a bit shifted, but it's okay. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so, um, and then all the electrochemical data, the uh, pressure data, data um, basically try to collect all this data. And then, so all this process, manufacturing to formation, up until the cell comes out, we call this the uh, pre-birth data. It's like the baby inside the mom's womb. And then you collect all this data, and then the cell comes out, so after birth. Um, and then we um, um, collect those data because different uh, drivers, when they drive this, the, the car, they charge it differently, they drive it differently. Some people drive in cold place, some people drive in hot place, they drive over potholes and it's raining and they are very aggressive. Some people use uh, fast charge much, much more often than uh, others. Some people use very nice, slow charge. So we try to collect all this data. Um, it's like a person, right? A, uh, how long this person lives, uh, part of that is based on this person's gene, the DNA, uh, pre-birth. Um, and, uh, and then also part of this is uh, uh, lifestyle, diet, all that. And the number one goal is to predict incidents um, because, because the OEMs know um, uh, just doesn't matter what batteries uh, you use. Um, um, if we use the conventional way, these cells will have a chance of having an incident and then they'll have a recall. So how can we monitor things so that we can predict things and then turn these safety incidents, these field recalls to maintenance. So if you can predict that, for example, based on all the data you collect and the uh, cell is fading, okay, then before you have an incident, you take it to a shop and then and then do it do a maintenance. Um, maybe you you perform a, uh, a charge and discharge cycle protocol to, to heal the battery. If it's too bad, then you have to change the, the battery pack. So the number one goal is to save money from uh, recalls, just safety. And then number two uh, is once you can accurately predict the, the state of health of these batteries, uh, uh, then to the OEMs and then to the insurance companies is very valuable because then you can you can connect that to uh, vehicle insurance uh, and and the premium that you pay um, because the the value of an electric vehicle really is just the battery health so then you can connect that to the uh, to the insurance and the economic value of the car so so then you'll have lots of interesting business models. And that's the uh, um, motivation for doing Avatar. So uh, again, number one is really to ensure safety because lithium metal inherently uh, is more sensitive to the environment than lithium ion. That's why we have to collect all the data and then really to ensure. 
Thank you so much, Richard. And I think now we're going to ask my final question, and I think it's our final question before we're going to go to audience questions. So please, everyone already put their question in the chat. Please get ready. We're going to invite you up in a moment. And I think there's also a question on data, so I think you know, we can uh, talk a bit about this a bit more. And now I have one final question maybe also for Mark. Um, think a bit more about financing, and I think you also described, right? You have done financing in different areas. So I'm just quite curious, you know, I mean, how can we finance these big, you know, transformative technologies? I mean, SPAC is now one vehicle you also have used, but I think you also have invested in different ways. Maybe you can just show a bit of a landscape, maybe, you know, the, do you think, for example, we're going to see much more SPACs in the future? It feels like it was a big wave coming. Is this, a, you know, more vehicles like that? Do you think we're going to have other investment vehicles? So I'm just curious, a bit from the financing perspective, how you have seen it. Uh, yeah, thanks, Simon. Um, so, well, a couple of things to say. I think, first of all, the market, uh, the financial market backdrop is very weak right now. So public markets are very weak. You know, everything in this high growth um, kind of w w anything where you have all the profits uh, to the right, um, meaning in the future, uh, you're going to have uh, a big drop in share price when interest rates go up. Right? That's just the nature of uh, finance. And so that's why you're seeing all of these um, companies come down 50, 60, some down 70, 80 percent from where they were about a year ago. Um, and so that's also hurting valuations in later stage ventures. Uh, and it's also made, also related to that, but a separate issue is uh, SPACs are getting a lot more scrutinized. There are still SPACs getting done, um, but uh, they are getting much more heavily scrutinized. So the, the number of SPACs getting done are less. Um, but I think you know, it depends on where you are. In fundraising, if you're talking about, you know, how do you raise money or what do you do to get money? Um, if you're an early stage uh, battery company, then, um, you, you know, you, it depends, depend, depends how early, but you're going to see that valuations aren't going to be hit as much um, because you're very early stage. Um, the later stage ones are going to see and have seen already valuations come down quite a bit. So the good news is if you're early stage, valuations are not down anywhere near as much. It's also a very hot sector, batteries, so so um, valuations aren't going to come down as much as other areas. Um, and, you know, I, I'm personally investing and um, through my personally and through my uh, fund electric revolution ventures. So you can feel free to um, reach out to me if you've got the next great uh, idea. Um, I, uh, I, I'm hesitant to give my email, but I'll give it anyway. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get bombarded with a thousand emails. But um, my email address is mark at electricrevolution.vc. Uh, feel free to send me an email if you have any great idea. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Mark, and I think now we have a lot of questions, and I think before we were discussing you know, how much time do we need, but I think we will need the one of ours to just go through all of the questions we have lined up here. So I think maybe just a quick word, of course, this is a public company now, so we don't have any forward-looking statements, just to throw this in there. I don't think this will be any issue, but just to mention that for anybody asking or thinking in this direction. I think the first questions we have are from Pooja. Pooja, would you like to go first? 
Yeah, um, thank you very much uh, for the very interesting um, discussions, especially around uh, cell qualification. Um, that was really interesting to hear. So I just had uh, a couple questions. Um, the first one was um, SES's technology. Basically, you know, you have a, a lithium metal anode. Um, so basically, how are you able to have a very stable plating and stripping? Because um, obviously this will give you, you know, a good cycle life. And is this through like a, a stable SCI layer um, that's kind of formed, you know, from your liquid electrolyte? or some kind of coating layer on the anode uh, and whether you can kind of comment on what this layer kind of looks like chemically or visually. And then my second question is, um, how do you make ultra thin uh, lithium metal anode? And, you know, I think you mentioned, uh, Mark, about supply chain issues. Um, how do you see that with uh, lithium metal? Yeah, so on the first one, uh, I mean, that's, that's basically what we do. Uh, and the, even until today, we still don't completely understand the, the, the mechanism. Uh, and there are lots of papers out there talking about different mechanisms. And then also we have a lot of uh, uh, fairly deep understanding of the, me of the mechanisms, but, but we don't have a, a full understanding of the great, uh, uh, of the, <clears throat> the uh, real uh, mechanism. But overall, um, this lithium plating, how do you make it uniform, dense? Um, how do you plate lithium? as opposed to like some mossy lithium compound, that's really hard. And then um, for us, it's a combination of this electrolyte, <coughs> this electrolyte, and then how it, uh, it has high columbic efficiency, it doesn't consume as much electrolyte, it doesn't consume as much lithium, um, because each time you play and discharge, you, you will uh, 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 form some type of layer a combination of this, uh, also this protective coating, and then how this can make the, the plating more uniform, uh, slow down the consumption of either the electrolyte or the, the anode, uh, as well as, uh, uh, so these are stuff inside the cell. And then outside the cell, how do you apply the pressure? Um, 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 and then what amount pressure? And how do you apply it uniformly? And also what current do you do you apply uh, constant current or some uh, more complex but more favorable protocols um, and also when you build a cell how do you design the cell and how do you fill the electrolyte how do you how do you form um, so it's a combination of a lot of things uh, and then it's really complicated and and then on your second question about lithium metal anode, um, we have been exploring several different ways of coating this thin lithium, <coughs> um, including uh, extrusion, lamination, uh, thermal evaporation, coating, uh, basically a, a, a few. Uh, and then now we're using one approach that we like, uh, and then it's uh, based on a combination of it's capable of delivering this wide width thin lithium foil as well as it gives it gives us the flexibility so that we can add materials to lithium to improve the performance um, and then in terms of the supply chain so currently this lithium anode really doesn't really have a supply chain a lot of the vendors in the world today they are just really fragmented you have uh, one company that would basically supply a low-grade ingot, another company would purify the ingot to 
uh, battery grade and then either roll it down to thin foil or evaporate it and then in the past we will laminate it onto copper so you have several companies just different step in the whole process very inefficient and then and then if you want to change something uh, uh, it's really hard so now we now we're doing this whole thing in-house uh, from ingot to the final anode. We're doing everything in-house. It's more efficient. Also, uh, earlier I said it's um, it's another degree of freedom. If you want to change the material, add something to it, then we can do it. Yeah, I'm not sure if the supply chain uh, question was meant for me, but I think Chichao has already answered it very well. So I don't really have much to uh, add unless there is anything specific for me on that. No, I think it was, um, yeah, just uh, as, as you kind of mentioned that there's no supplier right now that I've seen for like thin film foil. So, yeah, I just wanted to see. It's interesting that you do it in-house. Um, I, I don't know if there's any cost considerations to do with that. It was maybe something that you could yeah. touch on, Mark. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, sorry, sorry. Uh, I mean, there are some companies that can provide you samples. But for us, for example, this one 100 amp power cell will need about 40 meters of this thin lithium foil, right? Uh, and then we uh, we built thousands of these cells um, uh, in a few months. So we really need tens of <coughs> tens of thousands of meters um, of these materials, and no one can really uh, provide this at scale. The cost of this, um, at least for us, has come down by about two orders of magnitude when we buy this thin lithium foil. It needs to come down by another order of magnitude um, to become cost competitive, but um, but I think it's 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 possible. Thank you so much, uh, Pooja, for your question. And um, Esteban had to leave, but he left a question in the chat, uh, piggybacking on uh, Pooja's question: How do you solve surface homogeneity in uh, large format cells, both on the anode and separator to avoid localized lithium plating or hot spots. And you did touch a little bit on that, uh, uh, Chicho. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's no one thing you can do. Uh, it's a combination of coating, electrolyte, protective layer, the uh, cell build. Uh, in the past, when we first started building these large cells, the quality was bad, and then cells would die just because the the plating, electric filling, soaking, all those just were not uniform. But now, a lot of those have improved a lot. Fantastic. I'm just looking through the chat, and I see the next question is uh, Mark's question. Mark, do you want to ask your question? Mark Strauss. <laughs> there are two Marks on the speaker panel. I think we might already have that question, right? This was about the A and B samples. I think we already have been covering the question. Um, right. I think it, Mark had another question though at the end. Yeah. About are you there to, to answer, ask it, Mark, or should we ask it for you? Otherwise, we can also maybe go to Erin first. I think we had another question there as well. Should we go to Erin? Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, um, Dato, for the nice conversation so far. I think my question is about um, how you say perform in comparison to say competitors like Quebec um, in terms of cycle life under moderate conditions and also your safety test. Particularly what would be interesting for me would be say your internal short circuit, external short circuit, crush and maybe thermal stability. Do you have these results and is it okay for you to share this result with us today? Yeah, we uh, uh, published these uh, results. Uh, nail penetration, thermal, external short circuit, high temperature, 
third-party testing, we publish these uh, uh, data. We also publish some uh, cycle life under different charge and discharge conditions, all based on the 50 amp cells. Uh, Mark, the, um, the data are available on the website or um, with? Oh, the original data uh, that was published on the 4 amp cell uh, when the SPAC was the, uh, the SPAC IPO SPAC merger was going through, uh, I'm not sure if that's still on the website, but that's through the SEC filings, um, and the recent uh, data for um, for this battery world uh, that I believe is on the website. I, I have to check. We have to check, but I'm pretty sure it's on the website right now. But if yeah. they, if you don't if you can't find it, then just reach out to one of us or one of the people at SES and we can get it to you. It's all it's all available. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you so much both. And I think yeah, also in the recording, I think as you said, they're also live, so maybe you can also find something there. But I think talking about data, I think Joachim's question might be might be a good addition there. Joachim, do you want to go next? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, happy to ask my question here. Um, so you mentioned multiple times that um, data is really central to your strategy and I would be kind of interesting whether you can share a little bit more like what types of data you're currently collecting during the manufacturing process or, or kind of like the pre-birth and then um, also like the, the life cycle of the cells. And maybe you can, uh, you can state some examples where this data-driven approach really came and helpful and saved you a lot of time already as of now, um, because I assume like in your stage, you don't have this um, safety incidents in the fields in an EV. Um, because you're not there yet, but maybe there's like some things in the earlier stage where this already came, came in very, very helpful. Uh, yeah, so in the manufacturing process, we, we uh, have a long list. Uh, it's, it's, it's probably several hundred, almost a thousand uh, items, uh, uh, all the data we, we check. Um, and then we do follow a very uh, rigorous uh, quality management. <coughs> And and uh, and this is uh, 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 so we are uh, constantly improving this uh, too with our OEM partners. One of the big uh, the biggest aspects of these JDAs is the OEMs will actually send their quality team uh, to our lines, and they do this all the time with with their other uh, battery suppliers, LG, CATL, all that to really uh help improve also have a deeper understanding of the whole quality process uh, and then the second part is um, after manufacturing at the cell level so again lithium metal is a lot more sensitive to the environment than lithium ion and if we just work on lithium ion we probably would not uh, collect these data but we found just collecting electrochemical data is insufficient. You also need to collect pressure data. Pressure data is actually uh, really important for lithium metal. Uh, and also in the past, we uh, just collected uh, uh, one point, but now we are collecting uh, a 2D map of the pressure. So we also get a sense of the uniformity uh, and uh, temperature. And then uh, because we don't have a complete, I don't think anyone has a complete deep understanding of the mechanism, and then um, uh, all the all the physics-based models for lithium metal cells uh, out there, including our own, uh, are not that accurate. So we rely a lot on machine learning and then use the data that we've collected 
for example, the smaller cells, four amp hours, we collecting, we started collecting data since 2019, uh, and then that we have a lot of data. So the the accuracy of the model it is actually quite good. Uh, but for the 50 and the 100 amp hours, we only started collecting data this year. But we have been collecting a lot of data. Um, also, in the past, um, the uh, data were inconsistent. The cells were just just bad quality. Uh, but um, and and we have inconsistent cells and uh, bad data. It's a double-edged sword. The bad thing, of course, it's hard to uh, use it. The good thing is sometimes you can use that to uh, train the model. But uh, now we continue to collect uh, more cells data. Collect data from more cells, but also collect more uh, diverse data from individual cells, um, and then uh, that's really help uh, helped us uh, build this model. Uh, and so now we we rely more on the machine learning based, just just pure database model than the physics based model. And and the accuracy in terms of predicting failure for the fifty mpower cells has increased a lot. It was zero percent uh, early this year. Now it's now it's more than sixty, uh, and then and then going forward, um, um, we expect the quality of the cells to significantly improve. Um, and then once we have better quality cells, then we also expect this uh, this uh, prediction uh, accuracy to also significantly improve. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Those are very interesting um, details. Along the same lines, I mean, you mentioned you're you're collecting all this data from the cells, um, and also you had you had a recent data release, right, where you where you made some things publicly available. So, can you maybe share some of the um, some of the reasons, like why you're publishing data, and um, what your hopes are in terms of uh, maybe also engaging community or just showcasing technology? Um, yeah, I think that would be very interesting. Yes. Um, so the main goal is to give everyone an update. Uh, I mean, we we had data earlier this year, but they were too bad, so we, so we didn't share those. But we have been sharing data uh, um, the whole time with uh, JDA partners. It's just this was our first time we uh, shared data publicly, uh, and then um, so well, one thing is we've improved the 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 quality of the cells and i think we've reached a milestone and then we should uh, give the community an update but also uh, just in general even from last year um, we always wanted to uh, to just just uh, help the industry set a culture of transparency because the battery industry um, quite often is is very noisy and a lot of times when you have these new approaches new claims okay but then What's the data? And then sometimes it's easy to show very good attribute in one aspect at the expense of other aspects. So not only you want to show data, you also want to show complete data from the same cells. Some sometimes you uh, you have people that uh, optimize cells for certain tests and optimize the cells from different tests, and then you combine data from different cells. So it's very confusing, and then. Uh, when uh, we work with Mark on the spec merger, one thing was okay. Let's try to change that. Let's try to change this noisy uh, situation in the industry, and then try to set some some rules. We're not saying we're the best or anything. We're just saying when anyone evaluates any battery technology, you should use the these set of 
metrics, uh, uh, guidelines, so that you have some objective standards to evaluate things. And I think that that helps the, the industry move forward. So that's why we're doing this. <clears throat> if I could just add a little bit, um, yeah, it's, I think it's just a breath of fresh air, really, just to see all the data coming out from SES in this area compared to um, there, there are others that uh, will just release one metric, as, as Jishao mentioned. So they may <clears throat> may perform, <clears throat> may show energy density is excellent, but then separately in a separate test, they may report on rates or power. Um, but you know, you you need to do both and cycle. You know, all of these things at the same time uh, and the different temperatures. Uh, so you know, that's what we did what, during the due diligence. Uh, when uh, we, we were looking at SES and various others uh, during the SPAC process um, prior to um, uh, selecting SES and prior to SES therefore going public, uh, that's what we uh, pushed for. Um, and, you know, I, I worked very hard to make sure we could get all that data. Um, and afterwards, uh, you know, Jichao just agreed to just uh, make it a uh, make it public um so i think there was a few things that were uh from other people that we'd interviewed that that maybe were not completely uh made public but almost everything in our due diligence on the technical side was actually shared publicly uh just to see all the kind of work we did um and 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 SES has followed that up this year with the uh, battery world 2022 with more data on the 50 amp hour cell. So um, it's, I think it's just, a, as I said, a breath of, breath of fresh air, uh, unlike others, they're showing all the data, good and bad. It's mostly good though. Um, and I think you should, uh, you know, if you're looking at other companies, you should be, you know, bearing that in mind. I, I, I hope other battery companies can start to do more of the same because then, um, they can be evaluated more fairly in that case. Yes, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, those are very interesting details. Um, and I fully agree that, I mean, we've been seeing that a lot also in academia, that there was a certain hype cycle and that certain papers would promise certain things and then journalists would um, blow that up even more, right? So and then it's sometimes very hard to put that into perspective and kind of understand where we really are and where we stand um, in terms of innovation. And along along the same lines, I mean, um, there's a lot of controversy whether um, <clears throat> startups are really the right approach to accelerate innovation um, in this kind of early early stage um, things or whether more stuff should be done at academia where often information is like more freely shared than it is at companies. So what were your reasons to, to say like, well, um, actually, um, we should do this with the company and, and this is the right way forward to, to bring this to market? Um, already like uh, like 10 years back, right? Yeah, so um, um, academia uh, focused more on the concepts and also writing papers. And then um, when I was uh, in my PhD in 2010, 2011, it was clear that to improve... So back then we had coin cells and academia does not care if you have a pouch cell, does not care if you solve all these engineering issues. Like all the... Mm -hmm. All the issues that 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 we are solving 
and we're working hard to solve at SCS and also companies like LG, CATL, most of the issues that they are working hard to solve, academia will not care because you can't write papers about those. Like when you solve, for example, this this laser punching issue and how that creates uh, uh, copper par uh, uh, particles in the cell, that's not sexy enough for a paper, right? <laughs> and then when you're in, in academia, okay, if you have like a new uh, concept for high concentration solvent in salt electrolyte, that's sexy. And then that you can publish paper. If you have a new uh, novel concept for a coating, that's sexy. But then once you have the concept, from the concept to to actually solving all the problems, that's not sexy. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so academia <coughs> um, could be a good platform for early stage technology concept. Um, but then, but then to turn that into a battery, a practical battery, solve all the practical issues. Uh, I mean. All these practical issues are not sexy for for publications. Um, so then, then you have to do it uh, in a company, and then so so um, then so uh, it's not sexy enough for academia. But then these are important uh, practical issues that you have to solve. But then if you go to like a large company, LG or CATL, they don't care enough about this to give you the resource to give you the focus. So then you build your own company. Because then one, you care, and two, you you raise the money and get the resource to solve all these important, very very detailed practical questions that are not sexy enough for publications, but very very important to get to the final sale. Yeah, you touched a very interesting point there because I mean in academia you said publication, right? And then all the knowledge becomes public, and then maybe it's just a few um, groups carrying out the same experiments in parallel. But all the kind of uh, less sexy problems you're solving, I mean, there might be like 10 or 15 companies, like all working on the same things in parallel and not sharing mm. information, right? So I totally mm. see this advantage um, you pointed out there for, for bringing this to market. But then also um, there might be lots of things um, happening yeah. in parallel yeah. and more sharing could maybe help. So, so what are your thoughts on maybe yeah. more sharing? <laughs> so they do share. Um, maybe not so much with the public, but for example, uh, like you said, um, there are around ten companies actively working on this, and then um, our our scientists, engineers, they sometimes do talk to each other. Um, they the, um, and then also the people move around. Um, the engineers, scientists, they they change their jobs. So so the information does get uh, uh, sent around. Also, we're working with the same OEMs a lot of times, and then they share information. So the Information gets shared, uh, not publicly, but um, uh, among the players. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I know it's a very tough question, and there's no, there's no ideal answer. I mean, there's a lot of controversy around it, and people still debating um, how we can really accelerate innovation and um, make things happen. But yeah, thank you so much for answering all my questions. It was a great chat. Thank you. And the other thing, just to add. Uh... On big companies, you know, it's classic uh, innovators' dilemma. I'm not sure if you've read that book from Clayton Christensen, but big companies typically, except for extraordinary ones, they're not very good at disrupting themselves with a disruptive technology. Uh, they typically, um, they're just typically for the way that they're set up, um, and uh, you, you know, the way that um, companies are set up, the way that 
comp- uh, employees are uh, motivated financially through working for big, big projects. So if you're an engineer at you know one of these big battery companies, you probably think it's more prestigious to work on the development for um, you know the lithium-ion battery that's going in the next mainstream. Um, you know, the next mainstream car OEM from uh, that's that's you know, just one year, just one you know, a shorter term project that's very, very prestigious because of the huge volume. Um, and some of these next generation ideas, um, are more kind of back office, back you know, back room lab, I should say. Um, and so maybe a little bit less prestigious. So, typically, but that's not always the case. I think there's a lot of great research that comes out of big, large companies, really, really good. But um, not always, when it, especially when it comes to disruptive stuff, they're often uh, just not the right places for that. Yeah, I fully agree with, with that statement. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Sure. Yes, I, I'm obviously biased, but I'm very pro startups um, to address industrial inefficiencies in the market. Uh, Mark Strauss, you had, uh, you had a question about the recycling, uh, recyclability. Are you able to ask your question? Yeah, can you can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear Perfect. you. Perfect. Um, so I appreciate your uh, Shang, uh, Chow, and Mark's willingness to share pleasant and unpleasant information. It's really important to get that sort of transparency in the market for batteries and really understand innovations. That's really helpful to people who are just trying to learn because uh, there's sometimes a challenge when people only present shiny, uh, sexy pictures um, of their technology. So um, my question is about the design for sustainability. Is there any consideration of design for sustainability of your cells or your packs? Is here my question? Hello, yes. Yeah, um, so it's very similar to lithium ion um, uh, from a recycling perspective. The cathode is the same, so high nickel, uh, NCM, NCMA, the recycling capability is actually quite mature for the cathode. The electrolyte separate are very similar. Uh, the only difference from a recycling perspective is just lithium foil versus graphite silicon mix. Uh, and then we are working, so um, um, graphite doesn't really get recycled that much currently uh, because of it, it, it's not uh, economically efficient, um, but uh, some companies are working on that technology. For us, we, we are developing um, a technology to recycle uh, cycled mossy lithium, basically after cycling, back to, say, lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. So we're working on that uh, because that's the main uh, difference between lithium metal and lithium ion. But the other aspects are very similar to lithium ion and then quite mature today. I guess one of my questions is with the packs, it's often very difficult to open up the pack and maybe um, test the cells or um, even as a recycler, say they're all dead, for example, or bad cells, to take them out without uh, in a, a more um, delicate way so that you can maximize the recovery of all the materials. Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that level, um, actually, there are companies that that take packs and then basically take out all the all the all the package L and then separate the cells from the packages. There are companies that do that, commercial companies. 
Okay. Um, I just wonder if there's any. I just like hear any any differences in terms of your your pack design. It's a a standard pack design from what I'm hearing from you. Yes. Um, yeah. From that perspective, and, quite similar to lithium ion. Yeah. And your it sounds like your casing for your. Um, and I don't think you said the type of cell you're using. Was it cylindrical cells? Pouch. The type. Pouch. Pouch. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I assume you're using steel casing uh, for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the, the packed recycling, that part, quite similar to lithium ion. And then if you need, I can send some information on the companies that we're working with on the packed recycling. Yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate that. And uh, thank you for your help. I don't have any more questions, but uh, I wish you your, your company success. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think we are pretty much out of time and I think time always really flies. I'm sure we have many other things we could still discuss. And I think we have an engaged discussion. Um, yeah. Also, if you want to check into the group chat, you can also find some, you know, more resources there. Also, thanks a lot for Aaron who posted the information which was published by SAS yeah, on the website on the data from 2021 as well. And as also mentioned by Mark and Chichao, probably there will be more data to be found as well. Um, you know, from the latest release this week, which was really exciting. And the presentation's already live. So we also shared the link in there and I might also share it in this event. Um, I think, yeah, before we go maybe to the new year, just a quick outlook. Maybe, Mariam, is there anything you want to um, say before that? I want to say um, thank you so much, Chichao and, and Mark, for this discussion. Uh, a lot of things have been discussed, you know, typically we'll talk about a specific topic, but it, it seems like people were so curious about everything, you know, that goes into building a battery company uh, from the concept of should startups be the ones pushing innovation to the manufacturing supply chain to performance and data um, to the actual chemistry itself. So thanks for shedding light on, on all of that. And, uh, and Mark, uh, thanks for sharing your, your email as well. It was a pleasure to, to do this podcast with you. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. Fantastic. So, Chichao? Yeah. Thank you, guys. And uh, um, hopefully, we'll have uh, some uh, uh, more stuff to share in the coming year. Fantastic. Yeah, we hope so too, as well. I just posted also here on this event. In case you're listening to this live, you can also click on the YouTube link there if you want to watch the recording. We spoke about this week where they're also sharing some more and also you can some some plots, etc., in this presentation. Um, yeah, this also really wraps up 2022 for us, at least <laughs> from Battery Insiders, from the podcast um, side. As mentioned, beginning of today's recording, you know, you can find many, many other recordings of many other podcasts um, over the past years on batteryinsiders.com or anywhere you listen to your podcast, such as Spotify, Apple Podcast, and all of these other platforms. And we have really covered lots of interesting topics from last time cathode production to recycling through policies and lots of other really important topics. And I'm sure we're also going to discuss many of them as well in the future. Um, I think I didn't mention at the beginning, Simon here from, from founder of Battery Associates. We also Mariam is one of our ambas amazing ambassadors there. And also Pooja and others have been engaged there. And so it's a big gratitude to everyone who's been involved from that side as well and all of the editing um, there as well. And yeah, also if you want to, maybe one quick thing, if, if you're interested to learn more about any of these topics, we also have a program called the Battery MBA, which a couple of you have either lectured in or participated in. So just th I thought I thought this out there as well. And then, yeah, for the next year, um, these sessions usually always take place on the first Saturday of the month. 
So I think, you know, look out for that. I think we might have one week delay in the new year just to give us a bit more time around New Year's. But yeah, we're going to have many other amazing speakers. We already got a few of them lined up. So hopefully many of you can tune in then, either live here on Clubhouse or also as the recording. We really enjoy it. And yeah, also maybe one thing for my and myself, um, you know, feel free to get in touch. We always love to hear from you. Many of you have reached out in the past year as well, giving feedback, thoughts, always really appreciate that as well. And it's really fantastic to meet many of you there. With this, we're pretty much perfect on time, one of ours. I think this went by really quick, as usual, to be honest. And yeah, hopefully see many of you in the new year. And big thanks again to Chao and Mark for spending your time with us today and really giving also a lot of personal stories. I think we just really appreciate it um, to hear as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you all so much.